Blog Talk Radio. Mason. 
I have been trying for almost two years since the birth of this show to get on our heart radio. And ladies and gentlemen, because of all of y'all and because of the huge listening base that we now have, we are on our heart radio. Thank you. I am so, so grateful. We are... 1,513 listeners away from 100,000 listeners on this show, just the show. It doesn't count the podcast. We're at 98,487 listeners on the show itself. I've not had time to work up all the numbers on the podcast because I've been trying to play catch-up from some other things that have been going on in my life. But this is just absolutely amazing that this show continues to grow when it grows because of all of y'all. So with that being said... If you want to come on the show, contact me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com, and I will get you a slot on the show. The slots are filling up fast. I'm already into August and September for guest slots. We will have this show completely filled up to the end of the year, I'm pretty sure, by the end of May. That's how fast the slots go. If you're listening internationally, yes, I can interview you internationally. We may have to work out the time zone difference, but it will not cost you an arm and a leg because I invite you to direct connect through your computer so you don't have to pay through the nose to be on this show, which is wonderful. I love it. Because not only we heard internationally, we can have international guests. I've had several already. Now, if you say, well, Yvonne, I'm kind of shy, I want to be heard, but I'm kind of shy about being on the show, that's not a problem either. Because if you also contact me at offthechainradio at yahoo.com and send me your ad, I will run it for a month. For one solid, no matter how many shows I run, I will run your ad for a solid month. And it's only going to cost you 10 bucks that month i'm not in it to make myself rich i'm only in it to help you succeed so you can either send it in an mp3 format and i will i will play it or you can send it in written word and i can record it and then play it or i can read it it's up to you so there's two ways for you to get on this show and with that being said i want to welcome our corporate sponsor cc chamberlain she it was one of the first to be our corporate sponsor, and we're going to start off with her ad, and then we'll get with our guest. Inside Your Life with Cece is a motivational, passionate conversation. Cece interviews people who are living their true purpose, whether it be a professional boxer, an author, or a history enthusiast. She strives to give you hope for a brighter day with her inspirational words. Download, subscribe, and listen as CC guides you to pursue your dreams and for you to live your best life. This fantastic show is available on podcast.com, iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere. Podcasts are available. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we welcome a noir author. Author Norton Upson has come to sit with us for an hour, and this is what he says. Life's full of hiccups on the road of life, and I had my share. Growing up, I also knew what I wanted to be, a special agent for the Federal Bureau of Investigation, and to start accomplishing my goal while at UCLA, besides my regular classes in ROTC, I took several pre-law classes. My plan had been to do my military service, then to go to law school. 
Then the first hiccup came along. I was assigned to an Army intelligence group, and from the very beginning I became hooked on the detailed work involved. Guess I must have gotten that from my dad, who'd been a federal prosecutor in Los Angeles. Anyway, instead of serving four years and going to the reserves, I decided to stay in the Army. Then my second hiccup. July 7, 1937. I had been assigned to the embassy in China. When I was walking near the Marco Polo Bridge, fighting broke out between Chinese and Japanese soldiers. I was shot in the leg and ended up getting discharged. With my injury becoming an FBI agent was out, so I took what I learned in the Army and opened up Upson Detective Agency. Finally, a great hiccup. I was walking down Rodeo Drive when I saw a familiar face. Maggie Nielsen, my girlfriend from high school, walked right back into my life. To find out more about Maggie and myself, you'll have to read the Upson P.I. mystery books as we solve some of the most baffling cases ever to cross a private detective's blotter. Hmm. In conclusion, everything about me, everything I've written about me is fiction. Or is it? You decide. Welcome, Norton, to the show. So glad you are with us tonight. It's been a journey getting you here. Thank you. It has definitely been a journey getting here. Um, it's been an interesting journey. <clears throat> so tell me, what in the world made you decide to write Nior? Because Noir? Yeah, that that is such an interesting, dynamic, interesting genre that it, it dates all the way back to when movies first became speaking movies. Well, I've always been interested to a, de- to a degree um, in the uh, 1930s, 1940s. Um, I think one of the first movies that got me attracted to that era was um, the James Cagney movie, Public Enemy. Um, and then a few years later, I happened to catch uh, the Humphrey Bogart Ingrid Bergman movie, uh, Casablanca. And every time that movie comes on TV, I stop what I'm doing and I watch it. It is one of the best movies in the world, as far as I'm concerned. Um, so anyways, one day, I'm sitting, sitting at my computer and trying to work up a new series, and Casablanca came on. And I said to myself, hold it. Why don't I set this first book in Los Angeles in 1940? Okay. Well, as you read, as you listen, as you listeners heard from my uh, bio, um, I had to kind of create myself. I created, you know, going back to high school with Maggie and um, then in China when I get shot, you know, and I had to find all this stuff and put it all together to come up with myself. And then once I did that, I then sat down and I was able to write the first book, in this uh, the case of the boarding house motor. Um, so I sit there and I start writing and I hold it, this is wrong. So I throw that whole thing away and I start all over again from scratch because I wasn't happy. What I had forgotten was the things that I was writing were 21st century things, not 1940. So I had to end up. So what I ended up doing is going down the research rabbit hole throughout the whole book, and every book that I write in this series, at least once a day, I'm spending an hour or more 
down, going down the research rabbit hole trying to find the piece of information that I need. But it's just so interesting. It's an interesting time. World War One is finished. Um, World War Two hasn't really started for the United States. You've got fighting in Europe. France has been mostly overtaken by Germany. Poland has fallen. Um, you've got the Warsaw Ghetto um, in the Far East. You've got the Japanese invading China and, uh, and taking over islands in the Pacific. Um, and we're stuck in the middle of all of this, fighting on either side, and we're stuck in the middle, you know, and trying to figure out what's going to happen. Um, and that's what's so much fun. Um, I mean, the book I'm writing now, I may have some either German or Japanese influence, you know, hints in it or something. I don't know. I haven't decided. Um, it's one of those things, you know, I do it. I was like, do it. I come along. Um, and it, but it I love was it. also. It was also a time of bootlegging, of gangsters. Uh, the oh, Black yeah. Dahlia was killed during that time period. 19, there was she this, died and she was she was murdered in January 1947. See, it was, that that time period was so rich. And then you had the movies were 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 spoken, but it was. The people that, that could afford it, the, the TVs were, were beginning beginning to come out. You still, ha- still had a lot of radio because people couldn't afford TV. But you also had that dynamic of, of the radios where people sat around and listened right. to the radio. The TV really didn't come into play until, the, until after World War II in the early 1950s. This I found out from my research. <laughs> See? It, it, <laughs> What what made you go in that direction? Was it a challenge? Was it? It was a other challenge. Other than Casablanca, um, because Casablanca is such a dynamic film. It is such a classic with the with the chemistry between the two main Bogart and the, the other characters. Yeah. You just you get lost in that movie. Oh yeah. And in that, in that movie, um, when uh, the Germans are singing, German soldiers are singing in the when they're in the cafe cafe, cafe American, and um, Rick turns to the band leader and nods for them to play the Marseillaise. That is literally the turning point in the movie because that's, that's when Rick decides which way he is going to go. Um, but I just. Well, I, I have written in the past under another's name. I've written romantic suspense, but that was um, back. Uh, those books were set in the 1800s in England. But I wanted something a little bit more contemporary. But I didn't want it, 19, you know, in the two, you know, in this time frame in the 21st century, which was originally what I was going to do. I was going to set my book in the 21st century in Los Angeles. But then I got to realize, the more I thought about it and talked to people, I'm going to have to deal with all that garbage that private investigators and the police have to deal, you know, deal with today. You, and you see it on TV, you know, with the um, what is that, the uh, DNA and the blood spatter and all of that stuff. I didn't want that. I wanted plain, simple, down-to-earth detective work, where the PI Norton Upson goes and finds the bad guy and takes him down or gives 
goes to the police and says, okay, this is a bad guy. Take him out. That's what I wanted. I wanted the simple, the down-to-earth, the cut and, dry, the, simple, the cut and dry. And that's what, and that's why I got hooked into writing the series. So when you started the research, and you and I talked before the show that once you start down the the research rabbit hole, it's so hard to come up for air. When oh, you yeah. started, when you started this research, did it? Did it give you more ideas for Norton Upson and Maggie to find dead bodies, to solve crime, to find their husbands? Yes. Could you write fast enough for all of the ideas? Actually, what I do is I, um, if I come up with an idea for a story, I'll write the title. And from there, then I'll remember what the title. From the title, I'll know what the story is going to be about, roughly. And you've got to remember, I'm not a plotter. I don't sit down and plot from beginning to end what's going to happen. I'm a panster. Basically, I don't know what's going to happen from page to page, from scene to scene, in the book. And I look at it this way: if I know how the book's going to end, you readers are going to know how the book ends before you get to the end. Exactly. Where's the fun in that? There is none. It, it's the same thing like with a uh, police officer or a private detective. If they know who did, if they know who committed the murder or committed the crime, you know, they, you know, they just, okay, he, he, so-and-so did it. Let's go arrest him. Where's the proof? Where's the evidence? There's none. It's just not fun. So I like to take my time. I'm like, I just, in the book I'm working on right now, I just maybe throw, threw in. A red heron. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> you know. Now, would okay. would it would it also? There were two two things when when I started looking looking up the research on you. There were two things that came to my mind. One, it was the it, that time period was the golden age of Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Two, it was also the. I don't want to say golden age of history because it was a very bad part of history, but three powerful men died during that time period. Franklin Roosevelt. Franklin Delano Roosevelt died in, I believe it was 1944. Um, Harry S. Truman took over for him, and Harry S. Truman was the one who gave the order to drop the atomic bomb on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Um, Adolf Hitler committed suicide, supposedly, with his mistress, Eva Braun, in a bunker in Germany. And uh, Benito Mussolini, I believe it was 1945, he was um, killed by, he was killed. Yes, interesting era. Very interesting era. And then you had journalists who were journalists. And one of the best-known journalists, Edward R. Murrah, that man Uh was fearless. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah, and um, the uh, the whole idea. Uh, I mean, like he was broadcasting um, during World War II. He was broad. He was broadcasting from England. His bombs were falling around him during um, the Blitz. Of course, during the Blitz, which started in September of uh, 1940. And um, interestingly enough, one of the place buildings in London that did not get hit was Buckingham Palace. That is um, 
that's, that's phenomenal. Who who would have thought as big as that target is, it never yeah, no. got hit. I did not even realize hmm. that. Yeah. At least the research that I've been able to do so far. I mean, I haven't gotten to England yet. Um, in another couple of books, Norton will be going back into going back into the army, into the intelligence unit. He's flying a desk instead of being in the field, um, and he'll be and he's going to be assigned to England. And so I'll be doing some three or four books uh, while he's over in England, um, and then in, then in France after uh, D Day. So there will well, be um, some more. Let me pay some bills, and then I want to talk about the history of your fiction. So hold on, bear with me just a minute, Norton. Sure. Have you ever wanted to leave the city and have a totally new life in the country? What would happen if you did? If you want to come west without getting your boots muddy, join me, wildlife artist and author Nancy Quinn, and my family on our true life adventure on a Montana mountain with our new neighbors, cougars, bears, wolves, and even moose. Moose. These stories and more are in my book, Go West, Young Woman, available online and in bookstores. Order a personalized signed copy just for you through QuinnWildlifeArt.com. Sometimes you see something which changes the course of your life forever. For Sam Holden, that something was the body of an abused dog on the side of the road, dumped there like garbage, without a name. Follow Sam as she becomes a vigilante for abused animals, always hunting for the monster who started it all. No matter where her cause leads her, she never forgets the faceless man who ignited her rage. When the two finally come together, who will survive? Doggone is the first in Diane Moat's thriller series, which reviewers are calling action-packed and suspenseful and hard to put down. Doggone can be found on Amazon Kindle. For all Diane Moat's other novels, check out her author page at dianemoatauthor.com. We are back. This is Off the Chain. I'm your host, Yvonne Mason, and my guest tonight is author Norton Upson. And he has just released a new newer book, and I know I never pronounce that word. It's right. It's so hard to pronounce. It's the case of the boarding house murder. And we're talking about the history of Noor and the 19, late 1930s, 1940s, when the dynamic of the world, not just the United States, but the dynamic of the whole world was changing. So, Norton, before we, we talk about your book, let's talk about Noor fiction and how it came about, why it's called Noor, oh, yeah. and the different um, the different genres of the Noor. Um, really, there's not much in the way of different genres for the Noor. Um, uh, hang on a second. I'm pulling it right up right now. Um, if I can get my phone to work. I know there's Mediterranean. Uh, Noir is crime fiction featuring hard-boiled, cynical characters and bleak, sleazy settings. Um, 
So that's um, what uh, noir is. Um, and um, it's but, but, but what makes it so interesting? Um, I mean, if you look at, let's go back to Casablanca for a minute. You have Peter Lorre in that movie. Now, you don't get much sleazier than Peter Lorre in any movie. That's um, true. Uh, then you've got um, Rick. Um, he's borderline sleazy throughout the movie until, he, until like I said at the beginning, um, he turns to the uh, his band leader and nods for them to play the Mouse A.S., then he, that's when that's when he makes he goes from kind of sleazy to hard boiled. This is what's going to happen. This is how I'm going to be. This is what I'm going to believe in, and that's it. Um, it creates it's an interesting genre. It really it's it's all mystery, um, which is what I love. I love writing mystery. Um, you've got uh, unknown occurrences going on. You know, different things are happening. Um, like you said, you know, the world is in con- is becoming in conflict. So why not bring some of that into the book? Um, and that's what I do. I bring in s- some of what's going on in the world into onto the page of my book. And let me tell you, it's frightening. When you were looking towards this interesting genre and ladies and gentlemen if you've never read a book by some of the newer writers like Elmore Leonard when you get into it and I don't want it they're simply written and I don't mean that they're they you know who the characters are you know they're going somewhere you don't always know where they're going to wind up but they lead you on a merry chase. And, and one of the, some of the old black and whites that, that my husband and I watch, some of the old newer movies, it starts out in first person where the P.I. is saying, I was standing at my window. It was a rainy day and the rent was due and there was three inches of dust on the desk and there were four inches of day-old coffee in the coffee pot and there she stood under the street light. The scene set without a whole lot of extra words, and I love it. The day had started out gray and cold, but that's not. But that didn't dampen my mood. Yesterday, I closed a case and made enough to cover the rent, along with making payroll. Right there, you, you know. You know that this P.I. is struggling, but what he loves, he is doing. And if he has to go without eating a couple of days, that's okay, too, because he's not going to change what he does. Like you say, he's hard-boiled. Yeah. I mean, and what makes it so much fun is you said, you know, sometimes the book will start off in first person. These books, this series is all in first person from beginning End. I am Norton Upson, private investigator, from the beginning from beginning to end. What made you Let choose you. that name? Norton Upson. Uh huh. Well, Norton's my father's name, 
and Upson is a nickname my brother had when he was in high school. I just Beautiful. put them together. Beautiful. Um, I can't tell. I can't tell you what my real name is, but I do have a real name. That's not Morton Upson. <laughs> and um, but I, uh, you know, and I chose, you know, I chose to write in first person because this is how I felt these stories should come across. And um, from the first from the first words I wrote in the in boarding house murder. So, you know, it stayed in first person, and it just works so well that way because you're getting to see everything through my eyes, through the P.I.'s eyes. Did you find it difficult to write in first person? At first, I did. I had a couple of dra- I had a couple of first first. I had a couple of drafts that I had to throw away because I find myself slipping into third. Um, but for the most part, I found easy, and I've got the most fantastic editor, um, and she um, has had found very few um, switches mistakes when I went from first to, to third person and, or back again. Um, so I'm very lucky in that sense. And really, because what I do is I put when I'm writing, when I'm sitting there writing, I'm putting myself. I'm no longer so and so. I am Norton Upson. And I put myself in that mindset that I am he, so I can work in that manner. What what I'm gonna, ladies and gentlemen, I'm gonna read the um, the synopsis of this book because I am definitely getting this book. It's called The Case of the Boarding House Murder, and it's book one. I'm sure he's got a whole boatload of others he's going to bring out but this is the first one and it goes like this proving someone innocent of killing a boarding house tenant was easy case solved time to move on to the next one or so we thought what maggie and i didn't count on digging into a four-year-old federal trial what made this one so interesting for me at least my father had been the prosecutor When all his personal papers disappeared, we had to rely on the trial manuscript, except we aren't the only ones who wanted the testimony. During the course of our investigation, Maggie and I discovered the witnesses had been murdered even though the police reports had said otherwise. But how did you come up with this? This is just so interesting. With with the storyline, yes. With you know, I needed intrigue. I needed mystery. I mean, you've got I've got a, of course the nice thing about Nor you got to have dead bodies. That's that's of what course. makes a mystery so much fun. You got to have dead bodies, and the more dead bodies you have, the more fun it is, and the more dead bodies you have that the police say were accidents or suicides, the more fun it is until you, when you when you find out that hold it. He didn't jump off that building. He was pushed. How do you know that, Norton? How do, I don't know. How do you know that, Maggie? Look at where he's positioned on the on the ground. Think about when you take a step, when you are going down the, step, the stairs. When you take the last step, you're right close to the step. But if somebody pushes you, you're farther out, just like this body is farther out from the side of the building than it should have been. Explain. Explain. 
He didn't jump. He was pushed. Simple as that. So isn't that fun? That, oh, yeah. Oh, I'm getting this book. So, all right. How did Maggie, I know Norton met Maggie on the sidewalk. What, what they, they, had been, they had been high school Ma- sweethearts. Pardon? But what what made you want to bring Maggie into the storyline? Because most of because the females are the femme fatale, so to speak. They're the they're the bad yeah. girls. Yeah, um, and that's what I didn't want. I wanted Maggie to be Norton's Joe uh, right hand man. Her his. Josephine Friday. Can't say Joe Friday because she's a girl. I wanted him. I wanted Maggie to be his Josephine Friday, his sidekick, and that's what you know. Throughout the, you know, by the second book, she is, and definitely in the third book, she is a full, basically a full partner in um, the business. In the up, and um, in the first book, they get married. I knew at one point I had to get a marriage. I mean, they'd been Maggie and Norton. Maggie had been working for Norton for four years, and okay, it's time for you two to get married. I told them, and they didn't argue with me. No, they weren't. They didn't argue with me. Fine, let's get married. So they got married um, in the first book. Um, for Maggie, it's her second marriage. For Norton, it's his first because she'd always been in love with Maggie and had hoped that. Someday he would marry her, uh, but turned out she had married somebody else, but ended up getting divorced. And we find out all about that in the second book, um, which is the case of the missing jewelry, which will be coming out this uh, late this summer, early fall. Um, so I get a marriage because I, you know, I wanted an equal partnership because I didn't want the femme fatale, you know, the, I didn't want the bad girl like you got in the Maltese Falcon. Right. I want something different. Um, I also, <clears throat> so, oh, and speaking of them getting married, they went to, you know, you heard of the Brown Derby restaurant in uh, Los Angeles? Yes. Do you know what, okay, at the Hollywood, there are two restaurants. There's one on Wilshire Boulevard and there's one in Hollywood. The Hollywood um, Brown Derby was uh, was where the Cobb salad was created in the late 1930s. I'm not quite sure of the exact year. And it was created in uh, it was created at the Hollywood uh, Brown Derby restaurant. I did not know that. This I found out in my research. Because I had to, you know, I wanted to go to some place for dinner until I got married. So we go, you know. So I'm looking. I'm looking. Okay, I can't use that restaurant because it wasn't open yet. I can't use that restaurant because it wasn't open. Then I, and then I ran across the Brown Derby. I'm going to use them. We'll put them in the Brown Derby for dinner. And in the process of putting them in the Brown Derby, that's when I found out about the Cobb salad. And I had and no of course idea that went in the book. named after Mr. Cobb, who had created it, who had been hungry one night, and he had all this food in the refrigerator, so he put the salad together, and somebody saw it, and said, I want that. And that's how and so the Cobb salad was created. And it's a delicious salad. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've never had a Cobb salad, it is absolutely marvelous. It, it's just filled with all kinds of little nuggets. So, of course, you had to put that in the book. Yeah. 
Now, now let me ask you this: because Hollywood and and the world in general, even though we were getting into a war, it was still the decade of glamour. Not just women, but men. Men still dressed in the top hats and the tails and carried the canes and the spats and the the silk. Everything. I mean, yeah. if you had money, you you showed it. Yeah, and I mean, you, and when you go out when you go out to dinner, you, you're in a tuxedo. The men are the men are yeah. in a tuxedo, and the women are in a black evening evening gown. Did you put that glamour in the book? No. Aha. Uh-huh. Not so much. No, because it took away from the story. I mean, um. When Norton and Maggie are going to the Brown Derby, I've got him in a blue pinstripe, single breast pinstripe suit with a vest, um, and black uh, and black shoes. Um, other than that, his his everyday wear is a, a dark brown double breasted jacket, uh, double bre- you know is his dark brown suit uh, with jackets double breasted and brown dark brown shoes. You know, and a fedora. Got to have a fedora. Got, yeah, of course. Got to um, have the fedora. They were so big. I love you know, fedoras. I don't, I, don't, I don't really get into too much of the clothing of the time because describing it takes the reader out of the story. <laughs> and, you, and I don't like that. Because it was a you know, glorious time. You know, um, I mean, I've read books, you know, in other genres and other time periods, you know, where the author will, you know, just, you know, take a page and a half to describe what one of the characters is wearing. Okay, come on, get on with the story, I'm saying to myself, <laughs> you know, and I flip through the page, you know, until I get back to the story. Why, why put That's it true. in? If it, that you know, is if, true. It doesn't, if it doesn't move the story along. Now, there is, so, in case of the boarding house murder, um, let me call it up right here. Um, While you're calling it up, I'm going to go ahead and pay some more bills right quick, so take your time. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Off the Chain with your host, Yvonne Mason, and my guest, author Norton Upson, and we will be right back. Former Boston PD Captain Stanford Carter and his wife, forensic scientist Jill Seacrest, have decided to move to the Big Apple to accept positions with the New York branch of the FBI. Rookie agent Shania Deeprose completes the trinity as they collide head-on with raging and rampant social, political, and economic unrest amid a string of murders that seem unrelated and may be serial, copycat, thrill, or hate-driven as they struggle to understand the mind and thought process of the orchestrators, killers, and victims, the team begins to wonder who's who. The line between black and white, superior and subordinate, right and wrong, and good and evil disappears as they are forced to reevaluate their own thoughts, feelings, and philosophies. Ultimately, every character must come to their own conclusions to these questions. Is justice ever more important than the law? Is playing God justifiable if it's for the greater good of all? Come along for the ride to see if Agent Carter will decide to stick to being a hunter or become judge, jury, and 
executioner instead. Find the answers to these questions when you read the new book, The Killing Collective. The Killing Collective is a character-driven story with big characters with depth. They're soul-searching in addition to the biggest case of the agent's careers. The Killing Collective, available on Amazon in both Kindle and paperback editions. Order your copy today. One. And Winona, the lovable narcissist from the Women's Cave Podcast, inviting you to join us in person or streaming at the Inspirational Women in Literature Conference on March 17th. Get tickets to the conference, buy our books, or watch the TV show Just Right in Life at andwethought.com or thewomenscave.com. So peace and love from Winona and Jade. And we are back. This is Off the Chain with your host, Yvonne Mason, and my guest, author Norton Upson. Okay, so you okay. are going to bring something up to read to us. Okay, yep, I found it. My um, a miracle. Um, okay, this is, uh, starts off with uh, Maggie talking. Thanks, I did the best I could, but without seeing their faces, catching them will be impossible, especially if your people can't get good fingerprints you applied. That's well, you're wrong. I think I know one of the men. Well, are you going to keep us in, keep us in suspense or what? I told him. Lambeth, for some stupid reason, he wears a bright red tie with a purple stripe down the middle when he goes to court for an arraignment or to testify. He was wearing that one this morning, and he hasn't been back to the station all day. To find that tie, I didn't make that up. I went and looked for 1940 neckties. I Googled it, and that's what it, and, and a, a, a bright red tie with a purple stripe down the middle popped up. Interesting. Yes, and, and occasionally, I will use, um, I will do a description of something if it's if it's uh, story related, um, as that one is. Um, so it uh, you know it, it depends on the it depends on the case on on the. Occurrence, if it's still related, do I do I introduce what they're wearing or a piece of clothing or something like that, or don't I? Um, so let me ask you this, Norton. Since you are writing in this genre now and in that time period, do you find that it takes you longer to do the research and put the book together than it would if you were writing another genre just off you know, just something out of your imagination. Um, yes, it does. Um, because sometimes I will, like I said earlier, I will get stuck in the re- down in the research rabbit hole, and I'll be going from one thing to another, and then I find another, and then I go to another, and ooh, I want to find out about that. So I'll go, <laughs> to, you know, and you know, before I know it, you know, an hour and a half, hour, two hours has gone by. Um. And I, but I, you know, but I found the information I wanted, but, you know, I put myself behind in my writing. But it also gives you fodder for future books, too. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm like in one of the books, I'm not going to say which one, um, I wanted to have um, grilled cheese sandwich for lunch for the two main characters. Okay. And normally you think nothing of it. But then I thought, hold it, grilled cheese sandwich. Was that around in 1940? Down the retreat rabbit hole I go. 
1920s, <laughs> when sliced bread became commercially available, that was when grilled cheese sandwiches started to become more popular. It goes in the box. See, I did, I did not know that. I didn't either. <laughs> I thought a grilled cheese sandwich was something like a 1950s something. You know, they would have come up with it, you know, like in the 1950s, <laughs> not back not back in the 1920s. That's amazing. So, as I said, you know, research goes down, you know, when you're going down and you're finding something and then you're finding another thing. It was like like with the Brown Derby. I have them going to one of the Brown Derbies, but then I say, okay, let's go check out the other Brown Derby. Then I go and check out the Hollywood Brown Derby and the Cobb Salad. Well, it turns out the Hollywood Brown Derby was the one where there was an, an episode of I Love Lucy was shot. And um, Eve Arden and somebody else, I can't remember who, were in the restaurant at, um, when Lucille um, et al. were having their meal. Oh, wow. That's cool. And it's these little, that- yeah, it's these little <laughs> Easter eggs that you find when you're doing research for a book that you might not have found if you weren't looking for something specific. Right. Um, I love it. I mean, like it was um, for Maggie um, in this first book. I have to. I send her off to get a dress for her wedding. It's going to be just plain, simple wedding um, in the judges' chambers. Blah 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 blah. So I have to figure out. Okay, let's see. L.A. 1940. All the stores that I can think of off the top of my head weren't around in 1940. <laughs> so I have to do more research. I need, you know, like a department store. I figure, so I just do a search for department store. And I, I come up with Bullock's Wilshire. It's a fancy, um, it's a department store, um, an exclusive department store. Um, and um, let's see, where is it? Uh, here we go. I fi- finally I found that I was what I was looking for. Bullock's Wilshire. It's a luxury department store where the patients are greeted by valets in delivery. Okay. Really? Yeah. Interesting. You know, it's um, and I you know I didn't know that. You know, now I do. So it's great. Um, and I'm sure if you have to ask how much you can't afford it. Oh yeah, oh yeah. Oh, but trust <laughs> me, you'll, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to give it away. But trust me, um, Maggie can afford the dress at uh, both Wilshire's quite nicely. And so can uh, Norton to be to be to that for that matter. Um, they uh, they're could we say quite comfortable. Off. And um, but it's the way I write them, you know, that they don't flaunt their money um, or anything. And it's, you know, I keep them down to earth for the most part. I don't, you know, occasionally, like in this particular boarding house murder, um, Norton tells says to Maggie, you know, looks like we're going to have to go across the railroad tracks. You know, you, you know, the, you know, the old adage that two sides of the railroad tracks, the haves and the have nots. Well, yep. Morton's office is in the have-not section of L.A., um, so he's going to have to cross over to the have section of L.A. <laughs> um, 
The reason he likes his office in the uh, have not section is because that's where most of his clients are come from. Uh, they, uh, you know, a lot of them are uh, referred to by uh, lawyers, maybe the occasionally the, the occasional police officer um, will refer, refer, send a referral their way. Um, a lot of them are um, divorce cases and things like that, or missing person that the police don't want to get involved with. Um, it could be a down, uh, it could be a down on your luck person, and the police don't care about him. You know, he's nothing. Okay, go. So you know, so Norton ends up getting the case. You know, it's that kind of a thing. That's where he works. That's why he likes working where he is because those are the cases he gets. He doesn't get the big fancy cases. You know, where you've got the nice office on Rodeo Drive or anything like that. Um, he's in some little one-way side street. Um, in a, you know, in uh, L.A. What, what a lot of, of people in this day and age don't know is that in that time period, and say from the early 1900s up, boarding houses were a thing that was not oh, yeah. that unusual for someone to open up their home and make it a boarding house, especially a widow or a woman whose husband was deployed to the the front and that was extra income. So it was nothing to run a boarding house. Right. I mean, it, was, it was fairly simple. Um, the thing, too, is don't forget, the Depression is just, just ending. Right. And, you know, and because of the Depression, people were moving all over the country, um, you know, going hopefully where the jobs were. And so, you know, there were people moving, you know, going to L.A. to get, you know, to get jobs. Um and, you know, like you said, you know, boarding house was the easiest way for a widow or somebody to, um, you know, make some extra money. Um, you really, you know, they didn't really run any checks, you know, okay, you got, you got the rent, for, you know, so, you know, a lot of, a lot of them were weekly rents. Um, and you did your own cooking, your own cleaning and all that kind of stuff. And, um, you know, you paid, you know, X amount of dollars for a room you had community kitchen community bathroom you know and that was it and um you just do the best you, you know you just do the best you can with what you got and, and you, know, you go out you get money. oh yeah oh yeah um but it was getting to the point where it was going to be a little it might loosen up a little bit at certain times i mean um in um a little over a year from the first story um, we have Pearl Harbor, and um, so then you know that's you know the military um, people are going into the into the military. There are a lot more jobs opening up, you know, in the factories. Uh, factories are being built for uh, the military complex, you know, to to make the airplanes, tanks, the ships, everything. So money was going to be very soon. There was going to be a little bit more. There was going to be more money. Available to the people, um, but still at the same time you had to, you had to pinch your pennies because you didn't know if one day or the next you were going to get laid off from your job. Um, so, and, and boarding houses were um, not only for for people that were transient, but it was also, if I'm not mistaken a way for people to get caught up on news from one place to the other, from one section of the country to the other. So they brought the news yeah, with you know, them. 
Yeah, and um, what was going on? You know, I mean, granted, yeah, they did have newspapers, but if you could afford to buy one, um, you know, did have a radio, but the news that the people would really exchange in the boarding houses was the jobs. You know, where is uh-huh. there a job? You know, um, or you know, don't go over to that next part of don't don't go over to that part of L.A. You know, you're going to get robbed. You're going to get mugged. Um, it's that it was that kind of information that was more exchanged than the world news, um, because you know every boarding house would have their radio, and you know, and the people would sit around at, at night and listen to the radio, and um, maybe if somebody had enough money, they, you know, maybe buy a little uh, flask of, of whiskey or, or uh, liquor, you know, and they'd share it. Um, but the news really was, you know, the job because that was all they cared about. They just there were a lot of these people were making it from one day to the next. And some of them weren't even making it from one day to the next. Some of them were just making it no. from that day, which yeah. which was sad because and you didn't get paid that much, pennies on the dollar. And then out of that, you had to pay for your room and your board and your food. And I, I would venture to say that a lot of people, if they could afford to travel train, travel train. If they couldn't, they traveled by bus or they walked. Yeah. Or they thumbed, hitchhiked. Yeah, because they couldn't afford cars. Yeah. And, of course, in my research, um, one of the things I found interesting, a car back then, of course, was, you know, was a couple thousand dollars, you know, maybe a thousand dollars, a couple hundred, you know, about a thousand dollars. Of course, that's a lot of money. But, a, you know, a fairly nice house was, you know, eight or nine thousand dollars for mm-hmm. a fairly nice house. Once again. In this day and age, that's that's nothing. That, but it's putting in the perspective of then, that was a lot of money. You know, especially um, if you only made fifty bucks a week. Yeah. Oh yeah. And um, two pounds sirloin steak was seventy five cents. Well, you didn't eat sirloin that, steak too, too often. Too often, even the seventy five cents when you were making fifty a week. Seventy-five cents was hard to come by. That seventy-five oh, yeah. cents would pay for your room for a week. Yeah. So you were not going to. You know, go ahead. That, um So you know you you you're literally counting your pennies. Um, literally. And hoping you know and trying to save a little bit, so that you can save up enough to move to the next city. Um, where there might be a better job. Um, or if you moved, say, to, you've gone to L.A. to work, you say, you, but, you, but your wife is back home in, uh, let's say, Oklahoma. You save up, you know, so you can send, save up some money so you can send her some money. Um, yeah. Things like that. Um, for example, Oklahoma is not a very good example because that was part of the dust bowl back then. Um, but... Um, you know, you, you're trying to save up money so you can send it to your send it to your wife, um, or you know, to save up money so you can move to the next town. Um, so the boarding, you know, the boarding house was really an itinerant place. Um, yeah. But you know, the people there were you know had jobs, unlike the uh, SRO, the single room occupancy uh, hotels, in um, that you found in L.A. Those were more for the literally the itinerant, the person who didn't have a job. Um, but you know they got a little bit of a 
they get a little bit of a check from the government, you know, like um, or a pension from what they, they worked, but they just didn't have enough to get out of there, and so they just you know ended up going into these SROs, into these um, hotel, you know hotels. Um, and granted, even then, some of them, some of the people living in them would um, have jobs too. You know, they might not, they might have jobs. Um, well, don't. But it was. We are going to run out of time. I hate to interrupt you, but we're going to run. We are only three minutes away from this show being over, my friend. Oh. It went by so fast. Tell the folks where you can be. Yes, tell the folks where you can be found and where the book can be found. Okay, the book can be found on Amazon. Um, go to Amazon and either search for Norton Upson or the case of the boarding house murder. It's right now until um, Tuesday, uh, till Monday night. It's on pre-order price of two ninety-nine. Late Monday night, it goes up to four ninety-nine where it'll stay. Um, it's a, and you can also find me at NortonUpson.wordpress.com. And I'm also on Facebook at Norton Upson PA. And yes, ladies and gentlemen, we will bring Norton back because we have some more history. We must learn. You will come back, won't you? Oh, of course. Okay. Of course. See, y'all heard it first here. Now, Wednesday night, uh, Colin Martin will be with us. He is a member of the Satanist Church, and that should be an interesting evening at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time. And y'all all know that there are things that I say at the end of my show every every night because I believe in them. I want to thank Norton for being with us. And Norton, don't hang up when the show goes offline because I have some things to, I need to tell you. But okay. you all know that I say this every time. Don't just feel special, be special. Because if you look in the mirror and you say, I feel special today, that feeling is fleeting. You have to look in the mirror and say, I am special. I am worthwhile. The difference between who you are today and who you want to be down the road is what you do today. So if you want to change who you are, change what you do, because there's nothing you can't do if you want it bad enough. And if, if you want to achieve greatness, please stop asking permission because nobody's going to give it to you. Because most people want to keep you down in the in that pit with them because they are too afraid to reach out and grab their dreams. So if you want to achieve greatness, just go out and get it. And last but not least, your smile is your logo. Your personality is indeed your business card. How you leave others feeling after having had that experience with you, ladies and gentlemen, that becomes your taste. And if you don't believe me, try it. Go out and tell someone they have a nice smile or what they're wearing looks good on them or their hair looks nice, just something that makes them smile because they will always remember that. And you don't know, you might save a life by doing that. So with that being said, I want to thank you all for joining us. Thank you, Norton, for, for being my guest tonight, spending an hour with me. My it was It was informative and fun, as always. And until Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Daylight Time, when our guest will be Colin Martin, Norton and I would like to wish each and every one of you all a wonderful, wonderful weekend from here on off the chain, and we hope and pray that you all join us again next week. Until then, we say good evening.
Okay, we're off the air. What we say, of course, will go up in the archive part of the show. But I wanted to tell you that I'm going to put the archive show up and that that other book cover is probably going to pop up. And I don't know why, because the new book cover's up. Okay. Uh, Put me down for a a November spot. Okay. I can do that. Because by by then, my next book, Cases of uh, Missing Jewelry, will be out. Okay. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate that so much. November it is, and I'll send you the date. Okay, okay and not a problem. Then, and then I will, um, tomorrow I'll put them all up on the the, um, the different podcast, and I'll put the links up and tag you in it, and you can take them and, and give them, you know, repost it and everything, put it on your website. So oh, yeah, I'll, I'll, grab a couple, I'll grab a couple of them from my, from my website. Okay. The, one of them, and also I'll put up the iTunes, I mean the um I Heart Radio podcast and the iTunes podcast so that you can put that up there so we can start getting a lot of hits off of that too because we worked a long yeah. hard road to get on I Heart Radio. Uh, I'm going to put I'm definitely going to put I Heart. I'm going to put Blog Talk and iTunes up. Okay. They'll Sounds cover like all of them. They'll cover, Sounds cover the good like, ones. Sounds- Sounds like a wonderful, wonderful plan. And again, thank you yep. so much. I learned so much tonight. I'm glad. I always learn everything. I, I, I learn every time I sit down to write. I do every too. time I sit down to write. You know, I mean, um, actually, the grilled the grilled cheese thing is yeah. came out. You know, came up came up in this book that I'm writing now. Um, I wanted them to have a grilled cheese. You know, grilled cheese and soup for lunch. And so I had to look it up. Um, and did and you sure know that charcoal was around in 19, 1898? And so you could I actually have a grilled you, Because in the house that they, they bought, um, by the way, they're both, both Norton and Maggie. I'll give you a hint. They're millionaires. Ah! But they live, but he insists on living on his salary that he makes as a PI. Wise man that he is. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, Very the house nice. that they build, the house that they build, the money that they used for that came from the finder fee from the necklace that they recovered in the case of the missing jewelry. Ooh, can't wait. Can't wait. I've got to go get that book. I gotta You're go. gonna have to wait yeah. till, gotta wait for that one. Now, I know, I gotta go but, download the first one. Oh yeah. <laughs> so, like so with that being said, my yeah, I'm going to. I'm going to go get it as soon as we get off. So with that being okay. said, I will I will send you the date in November. Okay. And and get you set up for November. And I appreciate you coming on so much, Norton. It's been such a fun time. Actually, you can call me Lindsay now. <laughs> <laughs> no, because people can still still hear the archives. This oh. is going to go up in oh. the archive show. Oh. Yeah, people can okay. still. It's like the outtakes of a movie. Oh, okay. So maybe that well, won't I'll let, that. I'll let you go. I got to go myself. I got to finish writing this book. All right. We'll Please go write it. Writing this chapter. And we'll talk again. We'll talk. Okay. All right, honey. Good night. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.